All right, we're getting ready to review our Advent things. For those of you that don't know, we have been marching through Advent. So hang on, guys. I'm just, I'll get to you, but we're going to review just a little bit, and then we'll, um, we'll be good. So if we, there we go. Welcome to Grace Life Bible Church. That's who we are. We're making disciples. We are disciples. We're becoming disciples, and we're making disciples. And um, our values there, we've been through that before, but we, we are excited about God's Word. Without God's Word, what, what do we got, right? We don't know. We make stuff up, and then we're in trouble. And we experience and extend God's grace. Going to really hone in on that today. And then we grow in healthy relationships, and then naturally, we overflow and impact others. Instead of this big, heavy, like, oh, I have to do this thing. Anyway, so another way to look at our values you can't experience growing and impacting and experiencing grace without knowing. Some churches just get stuck on knowing, and it's like, it's like you're at Bible college seminary every day all the time. And other churches are, are so much about experiencing that you feel great, but you don't know Jesus from anything. And that's a problem. So we try to balance that out, okay? We have been going through an Advent thing. It's called the Advent Jesse Tree. Isaiah 11 talks about a stump, a branch coming out of the root of Jesse. And that's where hope is. That's pointing to Jesus Christ. And so every five days a week, we have these little readings. Maybe some of you have been doing that. And today, we're going to be focusing on Jeremiah's New Covenant Peace. And so that's where we are. And um, there we go. So I get to get my basket and who's going to help me? Look at that. That's a prophecy of a gentle shepherd. And so what do we have here? It's a sheep. Go and hang it on, hang it on the, the tree for me, okay? So, Jesus is the good shepherd. But King David was a shepherd, even as a little boy. He was a really, really good shepherd. A good shepherd cares for a sheep, and that's what, that's what he did. All right? And so the next one talks about the suffering servant. Look at this. What is this? That's a cross, cross of nails. Go hang. That's going to be hard to hang up there, but just put it there anywhere and you'll be good. Might want to help her hang that. And then we have the prophecy of a new covenant. Who wants to hang this? That's a heart. It's a heart with the word Savior on it. Yeah, because Jesus is the suffering servant and he came to give us a new covenant, way better than the old covenant. So we're going to talk about that today. And then we read about Bethlehem. The greatest of kings was born in the tiniest of towns because he is for everybody. He's for big people, little people, famous people, not famous people. This is all jacked up. Can you get your dad to help with that? Somebody need an adult help. All right. So Bethlehem and then the exile. Look at this. What is going on with that? Can you see that? What is this? Tell the people what this is. It's a story about some people in a furnace. You ever hear that story? Those three guys that are in a furnace, and then the king's like, wait a minute, there's four. What is going on with that? Well, there you go. All the names we can't pronounce. Good job. Hang it on the tree. Because in exile during that time, very good. They were faithful to God, and they were a small number. Most people weren't faithful to God. They were, and God was faithful to them. And Jesus was faithful to God, and Jesus opened the door. For us to know him. Thank you so much for doing that. Hey, let's do, we got to do all these little hand bumps here. Come on. Boom, 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 boom. Thank you. And now you guys are going to read scripture in a little bit. That's good. Anyway, it's kind of a fun way. We did this with our family, with our kids when they're little. They get to mentally go through the whole story of the Old Testament is leading to Christ, right? And that's kind of what we're, uh, what we're doing here. So welcome to Advent. 
Um, all right, let's go ahead and um, light the candle. Fire. Then we'll read scripture, Jeremiah 31. But, good job, thank you. At this time, any kids that want to go to children's church from two years old to fourth grade are dismissed. And so they'll rumble down that way. And then we'll read Jeremiah 31. You guys did great, thank you. Are you going to read? Are you going to read? No, I'm good. I think. We'll, we'll, we'll make it work. All right, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. You can find that on page 660 with the Bibles in your chairs. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. There we go. I can hear myself. Does, does the noise in my head bother you? <laughs> I'll just continue. Probably not. Anyway, um, yeah, we're talking about the new covenant. So what do you do when you fail, when you fail to measure up? Sin and shame are pounding on your door, flashing lights, you're inadequate, you've done something wrong. Where do you go in that moment? How do you deal with other people that you love when they fall short? And it's completely obvious, at least to you, that they fall short. I mean, do you go the sin and shame and guilt? Should, ought, could? Or do you have another plan? The New Covenant gives us skills to grow in healthy relationships, and that's kind of where we're going. But um, a confession, I, warning signs like, like street closed, usually I, can, I consider that as sort of like, Perhaps it's closed, but really, for you, John, it's not. So I always go around them. And most of the time, they're not really closed. This down here, that's really closed. I know I checked, but anyway. Um, but, but like with warning lights on signs, I have this thing with cars. I just, any rattle in a car just drives me completely crazy. I just have to just tighten it up and, and fix it. And, and I have old cars, and so there's, there's things, but I try to button them down. And, and there's also, like, now warning lights, the dashboard, you know what I mean? Error code, error code. And I'm forever chasing down error codes. I have this OBD2 software thing that I can get into the computer and change stuff and clear codes. And I'm like, yes. And then two days later, boop, and I'm like, ah. So, so what do you do? You know what I mean? Here, here's a picture of a code. And it's not a big deal, but, you know, we've got an engine thing. We've got a backup light that's out, and that just, that just bothers me. And so here, here's my solution, right? I just figured, well, let's just put, let's just put a sticker over it. 
I don't see the problem. Why, 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 that doesn't work, does it? No. We, we, we can't just put a sticker over the problem. But we do that all the time. When, when there's something wrong with our soul, instead of going to Jesus for the ultimate fix, which is a new heart, we put on masks and stickers. And we can put so many masks and so many stickers over covering everything that we kind of lose the sense of who we are. We certainly don't feel comfortable taking off the mask and risk being known for who we are. And that's tragic because that is exactly what the new covenant wants to, to give us. And so here's what we're talking about today. New covenant peace, no stickers needed. If you have problems, don't just cover them up with a sticker, okay? Even from pasta jays and Moab, <laughs> all right? I don't know where I got that. I just have a bag of stickers anyway. So, um, all right. Um, if you try to measure up to God's standards, like the Old Covenant, you're never going to figure it out. There will be light after light after light. You can clear the code. You can do some retreat and feel good about yourself. And three days later, problems come back. We can't manage our sin. And most, sadly, most Christians, I shouldn't say that, many Christians fall into this trap of just managing their sin and trying to look good. We have masks. We say everything's fine. But inside, we're, we're just alone. And the problem with a mask is, is when you have a mask and someone extends love, the love never makes it to you. It, it gets to your mask. You are alone, unknown, unloved. Masks are tragic that way, all right? Um, so the new covenant, instead of trying, the new covenant is, is about trusting what God has already done to make us acceptable. The old covenant is just trying and trying and masks and it's exhausting, all right? So we're talking about the old covenant, new covenant. Uh, Jeremiah lived around 600 BC, roughly speaking. And so he, that, prof, that prophecy that we just read up here is about the new covenant. Now, uh, we're talking about Advent. His first Advent or appearing was what we read about in the Gospels. His second Advent is behind the tree and it's in the future, all right? So that's kind of what we're talking about. Um, but remember, in the New Testament times, they, they didn't, as they were living in the New Testament, they don't have the New Testament. Everybody in, that you read about in the New Testament is still in an Old Testament economy, an Old Testament thing. When Jesus is walking around, they're still doing Old Testament sacrifices, and he gets upset, you know, they're making money and, and all that stuff. And so this shift from the old covenant to the new covenant is really, really difficult. You would think, you would think that going from something old to new would be great. Have you ever updated your operating system or got a brand new version of some software? You're like, I'm lost. I just want to go back to the way it was. It, sometimes new things can be disorienting. Oh, but they're better, right? And so I'm going to try to talk about the new covenant. It's great. It's wonderful. But it's actually hard because we spent so many years in this old covenant, broken body, broken mind, broken soul, broken world, broken relationships, that you just flip a switch and to go to the new covenant, it, well, how, I'm supposed to forgive him or her just because of the new covenant? You have no idea what they did. And so how do, we, how do we get to that place where we can live out of the new covenant instead of just um, putting on a mask, all right? 
This is what, this is what uh, Jesus did at the Last Supper. We read about this in communion. You know, he said this, behold, this is my blood, the cup of the new covenant. And so Jesus is trying to lead his disciples. Guys, there's a whole new covenant here, and I'm it, and my blood is it, and no more blood of bulls and goats that you have to do over and over and over. I'll stop there, but you get the point. Jesus sacrificed himself once for all, and he's like, guys, it's done. Everything you read about in the Levitical system, the Old Testament, that, that, that is fulfilled in me because I'm turning the corner and everything's new, all right? So, all right, here's a question. Um, the new covenant, it was made with Israel and Judah. That's what it says in this verse. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and Judah. Okay, it doesn't just say Israel because at that time they had split a northern kingdom, southern kingdom, all of God's people. But, but if it's made with Israel and Judah, why are we talking about it? Because that's like a long time ago and I, I'm not Israel. I, I, you know, well, we're talking about it because everything we experience in salvation through the church comes from this. All right? So... It's pretty significant. I want to be clear that um, Acts 2 is when the church happens, all right? There's two entities. You've got to keep this in mind as you're reading Scripture. There, there's, there's the church in the New Testament, Acts 2. That's, that's what we are, a gathering of believers. But there's also all of the Old Testament that the nation of Israel, that's still a thing. That, that's still going on. So the church does not replace Israel. The church isn't better than Israel. But there's two entities going through the story of Scripture now, and we have to keep that in mind, all right? And so um, how this works can be a little confusing, but um, when Jesus died, he made available salvation to everyone, male, female, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. It's based on faith. doesn't matter your ethnicity. It just, and that's the point of Galatians 3.28, neither male nor female, neither slave nor free. It's just faith in Christ is the great leveling experience, and, and we're all equally um, available to that. But Israel... Uh, there, there's stuff promised to Israel a long time ago that's going on and on and on, and they won't, they won't receive the fruit of that promise until much later, even later than today. It's like, it's like there's a wealthy billionaire that has, a, has an estate and a will, and he's like, tell you what, when I die, take these billions of dollars and, and just flood all my charities with this money, and all these people are going to benefit immediately upon my death. But my son... When I die, if, if I die before my son's 21, he has to wait until he's 21 years old, and then you'll release these billions of dollars to my son. And the guy dies. His son's only five. Tragic, I know, but it's a story. So, so the son has to wait until he's 21 to get the inheritance. That's what Israel is doing. There's promises to Israel, but they have to wait until the second advent behind the tree in order to fulfill and, and let Scripture come to, to fruition. So just... Just so we understand that, okay? Um, that's great. Let's move on here to verse 32. I'm in Jeremiah 31, verse 32. We just read it. It says, I'm going to make a new covenant. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. He's talking about the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. It's a little odd. Don't you think that he says, I was their husband? I mean, wouldn't it make more sense if he said, though I was their God? 
When is that always their husband? I didn't know this until I just studied this this week. <laughs> Blew my mind. The, the Hebrew word for husband here is Baal. Same word as the Baal idol. It means husband, master. You know what I mean? So you're, you're serving Baal. You're serving. You're, you're joined to. So God is like, hey, I was, your, I was your master, Baal. And you went over and broke my covenant. How did they break the covenant? Yeah, they, they worshiped Baal. And so, it, you know, there's a, there's a thing going on there. Um, but that was the Mosaic covenant. And I, the Mosaic covenant is all about doing stuff. In fact, Deuteronomy 12, 32 says, do all I command. And there's just pages and pages and pages. I mean, it's just overwhelming. I mean, when you do this, if your donkey does that, if there's a fire, if you borrow something and lose it, if this happens, if that happens, and, pay, and you know, the Jews went through all this stuff and they came up with 613 laws that you have to juggle. Spinning plates, 613. Good luck with that. Uh, you just, you can't. And, and, and some Pharisees in Jesus, they thought they could, and they're all like, we are awesome. And Jesus is like, well, tell you what, I'll just kind of up the ante here, and, and I'll raise it to the level of motivation. Your thoughts in your heart. And they're like, what? Well, no, no, I'm doing good over here. I'm spinning all the plates. I, I, I'm fine. I, I, and Jesus is like, yeah, but it's not just what you do. It's why you do it. And I can control what I do. I can, I can go places. I can not go places. I can do things. But how do, I, how do I solve my motivation, my desires? How do I renew those? The truth is I, I can't. I can't fix that. That's something that, that Jesus does. All right? So the old covenant is do all that I command. The new covenant, uh, Jeremiah 31 says, they will be my people. I love this. Do versus be. Just rest and be the people of God because you're already redeemed. You're already secure in his performance, not ours. So the old covenant is achieve it. The new covenant is receive it. Really simple. We'll sell bumper stickers next week, okay? But anyway, um, this is what I'm trying to talk about right here. We have, we have the old covenant. It's commandment, requirement, penalty, trying, and tiring. The new covenant is renewal, desire, empowering, and reward. It's trusting, and it's secure, and resting. There's peace in the new covenant. Would you like door number one or door number two? Right? You get the point? All right. The motto of the old covenant is, I'm working on my sin to achieve intimacy with God. It, it doesn't sound as pernicious as it is. I'm working on my sin to achieve intimacy with God. Well, you, you can never do that. It's a treadmill that once you get on, you're just going to be going on this treadmill forever, okay? Um, the Old Covenant says work harder, keep trying. The Old Covenant says good morning. You are inadequate. You failed yesterday. You will fail today. You cannot please God. And some people live there, and they never leave that. Yikes. The New Covenant says, good morning. You are loved and accepted based on Christ's work, what he has done for you. Rest and enjoy being a family member of the Father. So um, I've talked about masks, and I like the, I like the metaphor of masks because, it, because it, it, we do it. 
subtly. And it's appropriate, I guess. You don't want to just dump the truck with everybody you meet. I, I probably told you years ago I was in, in a Bible college, and <laughs> the most spiritual guy on campus one time, unannounced, gets up in stage, starts weeping in front of everybody, and he's like, I have a confession to make. And we're like, wow, what did he do? And he goes on and explains that he's been harboring bad attitudes toward the faculty, and he needs to repent. And I'm like, we all hate them. They, they make us study all night. What, we got to confess this? What is this? So it was a little odd that he went super public with this thing and so matched the, the whole public display of confession with the, the scope of the, the infraction. Okay, but anyway, um, the, the point is that we, we have masks and uh, we want to take them off. And that's really a the benefit and blessing of our life groups. That's an environment, and we've been going through this embark thing and, and, and moving towards intimacy and taking some masks off and saying, this is who I am, this is my story. And we find grace there, and we're, we're accepted and we're loved, and that's huge, okay? So in this book called The Cure, there's kind of some conversations about this masking thing. And here's, here's one little dialogue about the typical mask on the face, all right? Here's how it goes. Hi, Enrique. How you doing? Doing fine, Sarah. Yourself? Fine, Enrique. Fine. Couldn't be finer. Fine day, eh? Fine indeed, Sarah. Oh, hi, Carmen. How are you doing? Well, hello, Enrique. I'm doing fine. Can't complain. Fine day we're having. Yep, just fine. Oh, yes, it is, Carmen. Fine as it can be. How's that husband of yours? Well, Enrique, he's doing fine, too. A whole family's a big basket of fine. Now, just so you can pray effectively, Mrs. Sanderson has it on reliable information that several other unnamed families aren't doing fine. Well, I'm sure it'll be fine, Carmen. What matters is that we're just fine. And you, it's just overdone, but you get the, it's just like, wow, that is not very deep or authentic. And so, but we have this pressure to put on that mask. And again, we want to be wise and how we open up to, to, and who we open up to. Although in this culture, it seems like no one, they just go to Facebook and blurt everything out. I'm like, okay, whatever. But anyway, uh, back in the day, we thought about things before we just dumped dump the truck. I'm just saying. So, um, but the new covenant, the new covenant is about reward and, and renewal. And so that's the change of our heart on the inside. That's the answer to how do I change my desires, my motives? This is something that Jesus does that we can't do. So, so when someone says, you should love your brother, and, and the four-year-old is like, I can't. As a parent, this is a golden moment for deep and profound theological training to say, exactly, you can't. You need Jesus because his love can flow through you and you can do he can do through you what you can't do on your own. I'll, I'll share that with you in a bit in a, in a, a more creative way. But um, So we just have to admit, I, I can't measure up, and we receive his grace, and it's, it's, it's good. So the irony is, you know, we're fine. We're only fine when we admit we're not fine, and we receive his grace. And then we are fine, and we don't have to have a mask pretending that we, we, are, we are fine. So... Um, so here's that same conversation when um, this, the character in this book was um, kind of exhausted about the whole fine, fine mask thing. And here's how the conversation goes. Um, he's in the uh, room of grace and um, feeling shame. Hey, everybody, listen up. I'm not fine. I'm not fine at all. I haven't been fine for a long time. I'm tired, confused, angry, and afraid. I feel guilty. I feel lonely. And that makes me even angrier. 
I'm sad most of the time, and I pretend not to be. My life is not working out at the moment. I'm so far behind and freaked out about what to do next, I'm almost completely frozen. And if any of you religious kooks knew half my daily thoughts, you'd kick me out of your little club. So again, I'm not doing fine. Thanks for asking. I think I'll go now. So he wanted to self-select out, anticipating a rejection. But then there's a voice reaching out and says, that's all you got? I got more problems. Let's stay. And so there's the invitation to stay in the room of grace because that is where all these problems are met with acceptance. All right. So I love it. It's a good book. It's called The Cure. It's kind of fun. But um, so the, the law was never meant to save or fix us. All right. I just want to make sure we understand that I've told you this before in the past. The law is like a mirror. It's meant to reflect your condition. It's not meant to fix anything. You don't grab a mirror and fix anything. You don't try to, you know, turn screws with a mirror or redo it. It's just, it's just sitting there, right? So nobody in the Old Testament was saved by the law. In fact, the law can never make anybody perfect. And here's, here's a verse. Since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continued to offer every year, make perfect. So a lot of words, but when I was in college, we had to do a grammatical analysis, you know, independent clause, dependent clause, preposition, all that stuff, the entire book of Hebrews. And this is what, this is the independent clause of the entire verse. The law can never make perfect. That's what it's saying. The law can never make perfect. That's why the priest had to do it every year, over and over and over. Okay, so this is this is a key point to what they're uh, what we're talking about. <clears throat> so the law doesn't save us, and and here's another thing: the law doesn't make you better. You might give someone the Ten Commandments here. You, you should do these because this will make you a better person. No, it won't. It just makes you worse. Scripture says the law was given to us to stir up, to magnify, and reveal. All the poison and sin in our soul. (laughs) The last thing you want to do is like tattoo the Ten Commandments on your head and hang them on your kitchen wall and like focus on you should, you should, you should. It's like, I don't, I can't. Here's the deal. The point Paul makes in Galatians. A man or woman is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ Even we have believed in Christ so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Since by the works of the law, nobody is justified. And so um, that's his point. The law makes makes us us worse. So practically speaking, I asked this before, but have you, how has the law been used in your life? An impossible standard of God's righteousness. How have you responded to your inability to measure up to that? What about family members? How have you responded to their inability to meet God's standards? Do you come down with shoulds, oughts, shame, go to your room? Or are you able to use that moment? Um, here's a really good short video that we were doing a parenting class, and I just wanted to show this with you because it, it blew me away. My older son was four and my younger son was two. I had gone out of the room for, you know, 22 seconds. And I heard from the other room just, you know, the scream where you know something's horrible. I run back into the room, my four-year-old sitting on my two-year-old, just pummeling him, straddles him in between his legs, just pounding him. On my four-year-old's back is a big bite mark. It's bleeding. And immediately I go over to my four-year-old and I give him the law. I tell him, you have to love your brother. 
And he looked at me and just crying and angry, I can't. And then I say to him, right, you need Jesus. So the point of the law, the point of godly character traits isn't to make your kids good. It can't, it won't. The point of the law is to show them how desperate they are for a savior. Next. That, my that older just, son was four and my younger. And we'll just stop that. But anyway, we're going to hear it again. <laughs> I saw that. I'm like, wow, I don't think I did that when my kids were little. I, I mean, that's, that, that, takes, that, that takes a high degree of, of understanding the purpose of the law and the new covenant in that moment. It's one thing to know it, but it's another thing in the moment when they're screaming and pounding to pull that off, right? So I was impressed by that. And so um, my, my challenge to me and to you is like, can we, can we use the law not as a manipulative tool, but as, as God uses the law to, to lead us to Christ? Yeah, all the inadequacies that I run into and that you, son or daughter, will run into, they're met in Jesus. He's really what you need. When you find him in the new covenant, um, it's going to work out. So the, the, this new covenant, old covenant, is kind of confusing. And so I want to just walk through here. Um, I'm a visual person, so I can't think straight without graphics. But anyway, um, the old covenant. So Abraham gets this promise back in Genesis 12 and on. Promise. And so at that point, it's kind of vague, but, you know, promise. Some blessing in the future, and everybody's involved. Okay, whatever. So we just kind of march on. And at that point, Jews are like, okay, the, the promise is the big deal. Uh, but then what happens is 430 years later, the law, the Mosaic law shows up and the Jews thought, aha, the law is better because it's more recent. The law must, must replace the promise. So they thought the promise stops and now the law is the new thing. And this is the mindset that Paul is arguing in like all of his books in the New Testament. It's like, no, the, the, the law doesn't go on forever. The promise keeps going. And so this, this, is, this is the verse right here. What I'm saying is this, the law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. So even though the law came later, it doesn't nullify the promise for it. If the inheritance based on law, it's no longer based on a promise. But God granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. And so this is the way it really works out. The Mosaic law came and it ended with Jesus and the new covenant. The promise continues. The promise points to Christ and the promise continues. We have faith not through the law, but we have faith through the promise. We are saved not by doing, but by simply receiving and believing the promise. Okay? So this is... You might look at that and go, okay, well, then what about the law? Like, what's the point of that? All right, good question. It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, the intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. And so he's simply saying it was, a, and he goes on to, to explain that the law is a tutor to lead us to Christ. I've talked about that before. And seminary. I had a tutor to get me through Hebrew with a C. I, I had great rejoicing. I don't have to take it again. So anyway, a tutor is a limited thing. Um, but now that faith has come, Paul says, we're no longer under the tutor. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, 
male nor female, you're all one, and it's not obviously removing any of those barriers, those barriers, the divisions and different, they're still there, but as we all stand before God, we're equal. That, that's the point. So back to Jeremiah 31, okay? Just wanted to help us understand that. That's the background of that. Verse 33, for this covenant I will make with the house of Israel yeah, after those days, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So this is the heart thing. This is where we start to get that inner, that inner software upgrade that just makes things work instead of trying so hard to, to force it. So this is Jeremiah. It says, I will put my law within them, write it on their hearts. Ezekiel says the same thing. Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my words. So it's an internal desire. This is the answer to why do I not want to do the things that, that, that are good or helpful? Has it ever occurred to you how odd it is that, that we are like default programmed to self-destruct? <laughs> like like if, I, if I did what I wanted, I'd be dead or in jail. Right? Now, as I walk with Christ, my, my desires change, and so that's not like today, but, you know, we, we grow immature. And so here's another one, Psalm 40. I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. And so this is internal thing. David, I think, wrote that, and he's discovering that. So uh, the new covenant is better. Grace is better. We talk about grace here, grace life, Bible church. I mean, the grace of God is really central to who we are. Um, we all have maybe stories of people we've known that are very gracious. I've got a great mental movie of a, of a couple in Texas that just like, wow, they get it. It's just good to be around them, right? And then there's stories about maybe people that like, they couldn't, they have as much grace as a chair. I mean, they don't know, they don't understand it, and that's, that's stressful. And so when we start talking about grace, certain people in the evangelical world start to like panic. They hit the panic button. Oh, they're just going to sin a bunch. Not to be confused with sin a bun. But anyway, they're going to sin a bunch. And, 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 and I've always been intrigued by that because so you're afraid that if you receive God's grace and a new heart and a new spirit that you're just going to turn and look for the loopholes? That's like you get married, and on your honeymoon, you're like, so how many women can I hang out with before it's like, really big deal? Like, oh, there's something wrong with that guy's heart. If you have a new heart, you don't even think in those terms. So people kind of react about grace because two reasons. They underestimate the new heart, and they underestimate the Holy Spirit. All right? The Holy Spirit guides us, and and and... We, it's not overnight that all of a sudden I don't want to do bad things, but, but that, that new heart, it, it takes us in that direction. And it's an up and down thing, but, but our desires are renewed and it's a beautiful thing. And so if all you want is outward compliance, just give your kids a mask, load them up with the law, and they'll look nice and tidy. But like I said before, <laughs> the kid, the kid, that's the kid that says, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And you haven't really accomplished anything, all right? So, as I said before, the problem with masks is that when you receive love, it stops at your mask. You, you don't get the love because you're pretending to be whatnot, all right? And so, you don't, 
we have this culture where we're supposed to behave a certain way, and, and especially like in prayer, like in, in a lot of prayer meetings, some people slip into this language. It's like, well, well not, I'm not like Holy Spirit stuff. I'm just like, like, like super weird words, like church words. And it's so fun to be around people when they're like new Christians because they just talk normal. Like, you know, like you think they're going to give God his zip code because it's like, I live here, and, and it's refreshing. So if you ever think that you are a bad person because you, you drift off in the middle of prayer, I got a fun story here. It's just, I just can identify to this. So it's from a book called Blessed Are the Misfits. This guy, Brant, he, uh, he's, uh, he's uh, on the spectrum, and he, um, he has a hard time focusing. But here's this little story. He's in a prayer meeting, and... and um, um, he closes the eyes, people take, take turns jumping into the prayers, and so people are praying, and he, in his mind, he's like, okay, Brant, focus on what this guy is saying. Yes, Lord, help his grandma who's sick with cancer. I, I've never met her, but Lord, please help her, and, and I kind of miss my grandma too. She was awesome. Oh, man, she used to have Cocoa Krispies for us. Mom would never let us have that, but grandma did. I loved how they kind of turned the milk brown, or wait, was that Cocoa Puffs? Do Cocoa Puffs turn the milk brown? Man, I'd love to have some Cocoa Puffs right now. It's so good. Or Cookie Crisp. That stuff was crazy good, and it was like pouring milk all over a bowl of cookies for breakfast. Oh, wow. Okay, Lord, uh, please help the lady who's praying right now. Uh, her aunt has cancer. That's got to be horrible, Lord. I feel so bad. I, I don't know that praying lady's name. Is it Sharla? Sherlene? Something like that. My sister-in-law's name is Sharla. I wonder how she's doing. I love what she and my brother named their cat. Chairman Meow. That's the best. Chairman Meow. Chairman Meow is so funny. The next time I have a cat, I want to find something like that. Some kind of historical reference. Like that zoo named after Alexander Hamilton. That's so awesome. Okay, wait. It's silent now. What's going on? Are they waiting for me? Okay, I'm going to have to pray out loud about something. Quick, what do I, what do, I do? Who do I know that's in the hospital? Maybe I'll pray about something else. I don't know. I just like to thank God for stuff now, but I'm all in my head. Am I praying so other people can hear me, or am I actually talking to God? And I don't know what to pray out loud if it's just so others can hear me. Maybe that's okay. I don't know. I guess I'll just start. Oh, wait, Steve just started. Cool. Okay, God, we thank you for whatever Steve is talking about. And wow, I guess we're all wrapping up in Jesus' name, amen. So I just love that little story because it's so real. See, the mask is off. He's like, I'm not pretending to have it all figured out, and, and it's okay if we forget, like, names. And, and can we be gracious? And if someone says, like, I've seen you before here, what's your name? Just tell them your name. It's nice to meet you. What's your name? And, and you know, after five or six times, it'll sink in. It'll be good. Anyway, so... That's kind of fun. It's um, another funny story about prayer. I lived with this older lady in Texas, uh, two of my seminary buddies, and it was like driving Miss Daisy. She was old hearing aid, and we, we took care of her. A lot of funny stories, but um, one of them, uh, my roommate, his younger brother was visiting from Canada, summertime, and um, she had hearing aids. She couldn't really hear well, so if you were praying, she would pray to herself out loud, and you just kind of kept going and ignored that. So we're sitting down for a meal, and Mrs. Gregory asks uh, the visitor, Mike, hey, would you pray for the meal? And so he just starts to pray, and she starts to pray about whatever but mumbling, and it completely throws him, so he starts to pray about Christmas out loud, and immediately his brother starts humming jingle bells. So at this table, we've got an old lady mumbling, a guy humming jingle bells, and this guy praying for Christmas. It's just like, it was chaos. Anyway, but the good news is, that's okay. We're not saved by the fanciness of our prayers or how on focus they are, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we can have rough edges. 
the new covenant gives us freedom for that, all right? Because remember, Advent is about those who are troubled in soul. We realize we're poor in spirit, and we need, we need Christ. So we're loved right where we are, in the middle of our messes, in the middle of our tensions. We're fully accepted because of what Christ has done, and the new covenant makes that door open for us. And forgiveness is, it's not achieved, it's received. It's not about do all this stuff. It's about be the people of God, walk with him, pay attention to your new heart, nurture your new, feed your new heart, listen to the spirit of God, walk with him, fill your mind up with his word, and, um, and that's the path forward, all right? So here's a, here's a quick video that summarizes this. This is one of my favorite things on YouTube other than motorcycle stuff. But anyway, it's, it's really good. So we'll, uh, we'll try to play this. What if I tell them who they are? What if I take away any element of fear and condemnation or judgment or rejection? What if I tell them that I love them and that I will always love them and I can't love them anymore and I love them right now and that I love them right now no matter what they've done as much as I love my only son? That there's nothing they can do to make my love go away. What if I told them there are no lists? What if I told them that they were righteous with my righteousness right now? What if I told them they could stop beating themselves up, that they could stop being so formal and stiff and weird and jumpy around me? What if I told them I was absolutely crazy about them? What if I told them that even if they ran to the ends of the earth and did the most unthinkable, horrible things and were unfaithful in their marriage, when they came back, I'd, re I'd receive them with tears and a party? What if I told them that I do, do not keep a log of past offenses of how little they pray, how often they've let me down or made promises that they don't keep? What if I told them they don't have to be owned by men's religious additions or traditions? What if I told them that if I'm their savior, they're going to heaven no matter what, it's a done deal? What if I told them they had a new nature, saints, not saved sinners who should now buck up and be better if they were any kind of Christian, that's all I've done for you. What if I told them that I actually live in them now, that I put my love and power and nature inside them at their disposal? What if I told them they don't have to put on a mask at any time? That it is absolutely okay to be exactly who they are at this moment with all their junk and not have to pretend about how close we are, how much they pray or don't, how much the Bible they read or don't. And what if they knew that they, they, they don't have to look over their shoulder for fear if, they, if things get too good, the other shoe's going to drop? What if they knew that I will never, ever, ever, ever use the word punish in relation to them? What if they knew when they mess up, I never get back at them? What if they were convinced that bad circumstances are never my way of evening the score for taking advantage of me? What if they knew the basis of our friendship was not on how little they sin, but on how much they let me love them? What if they had permission to stop trying to impress me in any way? What if I told them they could hurt my heart, but I'd try to never hurt theirs? What if I told them that I kind of like Eric Clapton's music too? <clears throat> That the these and the thous have always bugged me. What if I told them I never really liked the Christmas handbell deal with the white gloves? What if I told them that they could open their eyes when they pray and still go to heaven? What if I told them there was no secret agenda, no trap door? What if I told them it wasn't about their self ever, but allowing me to live my life through them? That's the New Testament gamble. It's just powerful. I just love that. You know, he, he, from God's perspective, it's the New Testament gamble because that's a risk. You know what I mean? And he takes this risk with, with, with the disciples he chose. I still have problems with that. I'm like, really? This is the team? I think I have a shot at this. I mean, if he picks them. So anyway, it's, it's just good stuff. But I, I, like, I like that video. His name is John Lynch. He writes a bunch of books, very grace-focused. And um, again, the masks can come off. Uh, the masks can come off in our life groups. They can come off uh, certainly in families. I think that's great for husbands, men. Let me talk to you. At uh, Christmas time, if you can kind of model that 
like lower that wall of perfection and performance and say, yeah, I, I've, I've struggled here and I fell short there and, and I'm enjoying receiving God's grace in that situation. That's a great thing for kids to hear. You know what I mean? Um, we tell them, stop hitting your brother. You can't. You need Jesus. Well, what about us? I, I, I'm worried about this and so I'm going to receive the grace that Jesus has. It's a good, it's a good, good thing. So our key questions, does the freedom of the new covenant sound appealing? Should. Are you using stickers to cover your sh sin and shame and inadequacy? And so we, we don't want to use masks and stickers. Uh, we, we want to appropriately lower those masks. And um, so here's the final invitation. Consider this an invitation to look into the mirror that reflects our condition. Admit and accept failure and ability to measure up. Receive the gift of grace of the new covenant and begin to walk in freedom and forgiveness. So all of this is what Jesus came to do. This is, this is why he came in the first advent. And when he comes in the second advent, he'll continue his work. But Lord, thank you for your work in our hearts. Thank you for not just giving us so many world religions. They just have a big list. Stuff to do, places to go, go here, do this, don't do that. Um, certainly wisdom dictates that we're wise in navigating sin and uh, keeping our distance from it. But, but your love is not based on a performance. Uh, we're grateful for that. I pray that this week increased family interactions, whatever tensions are there, that you would just, through your spirit, give us the power to model receiving your grace, to extend that grace, and to receive family members with tears in a party, if that's appropriate, no matter where they are, what they've done, or what they're doing. And so uh, we're, we're quick to claim grace for ourselves, and we want to be quick to extend it. So thank you uh, for your word. Amen.